0: Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to the um, um, public worship here today, both those in the building here and also those who are joining with us online. We want to give thanks to the Lord today for the safe arrival of a wee boy to um, Stephen and Hannah uh, Wilson. That's the seventh baby. In this congregation, in the last few months, and it's 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 lovely to see all these um, uh, new um, gifts from God in, in in the congregation. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Psalm number one. It's page uh, two hundred in in the Psalter. And it's at the beginning of the song. Now let's remind ourselves, this is a song that reminds us that there are two groups of people in the world today in God's eyes. There are wicked people and there are righteous people. Now that has to be qualified because we have all sinned. If we're honest with ourselves before God, we have to put our hands up. We have all sinned and come short. But the astonishing thing about God's way of dealing with our plight is that he can make us righteous. That's what Christ has done for those who believe in him. This is a song that goes on to remind us that we will all appear before a judgment seat for our lives to be examined. We will appear before this God, before this Christ. These are profound truths. And they can be very, very frightening truths. But if we're in Christ, all is well. Let's remember that as we sing this song. That man hath perfect blessedness who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinner's way, nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law. And God's law is all the revelation he has given us in the Bible and meditates in his law day and night. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. That man hath perfect blessedness. Let's join together in prayer Let's pray O oh Lord our God We thank you for the song that we have just been singing We thank you that because you are the kind of God you are We can be changed We can be gloriously saved even though we are great sinners And we pray that this day we would want to come and bow down before you and worship you. We should do that anyway because you're the one who created us. You're the one who made this planet and did the whole of the universe that we find ourselves in. And for that reason alone we should bow in thanks and worship and in adoration. But there's something much greater we realize that you became a human being born in the manger 2,022 years ago in Bethlehem you lived among us for these 33 years you suffered and died at a place called Calvary outside the city gates of Jerusalem in order that you could reconcile such as we are to God These are not truths we have conjured up in our own mind. These are truths that you have revealed to us and we thank you that you have done that. We pray that as we gather here this day and feel the heat of the sun shining down upon us from 93 million miles away, we pray that in the spiritual realm we would feel the warmth of Christ shining into our presence at a moment like this. We thank you for all the new life that's been added to this congregation in recent months. Gifts from you, great blessings. But like every other blessing, they come with responsibilities. And we pray that as vows are taken this day to bring up a child to respect you and to honour you, that you would give the grace that is needed to fulfil these vows. We confess that we fail you so often, but we pray that we would remember that all our failures we must come to you with and ask you for cleansing. We pray this day that you'd remember us as a congregation and indeed a community. We pray in particular for those who are struggling to come to terms with the loss of loved ones. Dronai. And comfort, we pray. Remember others who are struggling for other reasons. And there are so many difficulties and pains and pangs and problems in this world. But may we remember to turn to you to cry out for the help that we need. We pray that you'd bless us, O Lord, as we gather here. And wherever uh, our loved ones are this day, we pray that you'd be a blessing to them. Our earnest prayer is that our family units will still be together on the shores of eternity. But we do realize that that will require personal faith on the part of each and every one of them. Oh Lord, our God, help us. Whatever we do in life's journey, not to get this bit wrong, but to come seeking your mercy. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now it's lovely to see so many young people here today and the others as well. But I'm going to speak to the young people for a moment. Last Monday, um, was it afternoon or evening? It was afternoon. Uh, My wife and I, Gret and I, got invited out for lunch. And we went along to quite near where the old um, uh, Church of Scotland is at Redcastle, along the shores of the Firth there. And uh, we had lunch with our Reverend James Sims and his wife Esther, and that was lovely to, to do that. But on one side of the house that James and Esther Sims live in, you've got the old Calernan Church. And it's still used to this day. But on the other side of the house there's an old quarry there. And I was really interested in seeing the old quarry. Because I had read a book many years ago about that quarry. And that book was written by a man who was once upon a time the minister in Dingwall Free Church. His name was John Kennedy. But his dad had the same name as him. He was also John Kennedy and we, 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 we differentiate them by calling one John Kennedy of Dingwall and the other was John Kennedy of Calernan. Now Calernan's is the parish along there and we use sometimes we call it Red Castle and sometimes we call it Red uh, Calernan, but we mean the same place. Now last Sunday we had communion here in this church where we had the bread on the table here and we had the, the wine that represented the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And in the past age when John Kennedy was the minister at Calernan they had different kinds of communions. They had what they called a private communion, which was just the local congregation coming to the Lord's table. But they had another kind of communion called a public communion. And that's when people from all around would come. And in his book called The Days of the Fathers in Rothschild... John Kennedy Dingwall wrote about a communion along there at Killarney, at which there were 10,000 people. And it took place in the quarry. And 2,000 people, we are told, sat at the Lord's or partook of the Lord's. They didn't have a table as such, but they, they took communion. They remembered the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 of them in the quarry, but there were 10,000 in uh, in attendance That's a huge number of people That's a huge number of people Our day and age has changed Where people don't really believe in God to the same extent That's not meaning that God has changed in any way He hasn't God is still the same God And the Bible is still the same Bible and we should be thankful that we are gathered here this day to listen to what God has to say eh, to us. Because God has an astonishing message to the human race. And we're all part of the human race. And we're all struggling. Every, every last one of us. We look at one another and we think, oh, I wish my life was like that person. They don't have any problems. That's not true. Everybody's struggling for one reason or another. And we all have such basic needs that only God can sort them out. Only God can meet our needs. And that's why Jesus came into this world. And we are here this day, a lot less than 10,000 people albeit, but how thankful we should be that we are here this day. And how thankful we should be that we are here to worship this same God and this same God. Eh, Jesus may we all trust in him as our own friend and as our own saviour now let's read God's word as we find it in Matthew's gospel and it's at chapter 28 Matthew's gospel chapter
1: 28 and it's at the beginning of the chapter chapter
0: But the angel said to the woman Do not be afraid For I know that you seek Jesus Who was crucified He is not here For he has risen As he said Come see the place Where he lay Then go quickly and tell his disciples That he has risen from the dead And behold he is going before you To Galilee There you will see him See I have told you So they departed quickly from the tomb With fear and great joy And ran to tell his disciples And behold Jesus met them and said greetings And they came up and took hold of his feet And worshipped him Then Jesus said to them Do not be afraid Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee And there they will see me And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from this word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God. Help us to remember that we have just read about phenomenal truth. In all the history of the human race, one man said, I will rise from the dead. And we realize they laughed you to scorn. It was so ridiculous. But we are here this day because that's what happened. There is an empty tomb in the land of Israel. May we listen to you as you tell us your own explanation, if for it all. And we are reminded day in, day out, that we too must go by this way. We realize that we will be conquered by death sooner or later. But may we put our hand in the hand of the conqueror of death. Who will conquer it for us. So that we don't end up in the lostness of hell. But we end up in the glories of heaven. May we remember this day that salvation is a gift. We make the major mistake. So often of thinking we earn it. We earn nothing. We have nothing to give. We have forfeited everything. But the glory of the message of Jesus of Nazareth is that he came to seek and to save those who have forfeited everything. May we remember that. And may we sort out the needs of our souls this day. May we listen to your message. May we embrace you. And may we be found safe hiding under the shadow of your wing this day. And for all of our earthly sojourn, and on into the ages of eternity. As we explore your word this day, please be with us and help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise this time. It's Psalm number 65, and that's found on page 82 of the Psalter it's psalm 65 it's at the beginning and zion praise awaits you lord to your vows will pay to you all people will come near you hear us when we pray now listen to this bit when we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 65 in Zion. Praise awaits you, Lord. Turn to the passage of scripture we've read, uh, the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read again at verse 19. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. 2,022 years ago, in the land of Israel, in the town of Bethlehem, a baby was born. And that baby was utterly and absolutely unique. His name was Jesus. And the word Jesus literally means saviour and that begs a question, well what kind of saviour is he? And we turn to God's word and the answer is this, call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And that reminds us of this, there are a people who are his people but they're sinners what makes them different to any other sinners? There's simply one thing that makes them different to other sinners. They have turned to Jesus and asked him for his help. And the help that he gives is this. It's, quite, it's really quite astonishing. You give them your sinful life. And he takes it and he pays the penalty for it. The sins of your life or my life. And in turn... He gives you something else. And what he gives you is... The perfect life and righteousness... That he lived. You know some days... I ponder that and I think... That's just almost too good to be true. Is it that simple? And I'm afraid... That the vast majority of the human race... Have missed out... On the blessings of what being in Christ... Is simply because... They've made it too complicated. And here's the major complication... That you and I, that we all have, we think that we've got to put something in to our being saved. The only thing we put into our being saved is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But most of us here, and I include myself, have spent many a day in life's journey trying to make ourselves good enough to impress God enough so that God would say, Oh, well. Not bad. I'm going to take that person to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It works on the basis of you cry out in your need to Jesus to have mercy upon you. But let me get back to Jesus. Born in the stable in Bethlehem 2022 years ago, we hear a good bit about his birth and then he disappears. For 12 years For the best part of 12 years We read about a visit that he made To the capital city in Israel, Jerusalem And then it goes silent for 18 years And then we read about the next 3 years of his life And we've just read about the end of his life Now, the astonishing thing about Jesus of Nazareth is this. He was crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem. The main people pushing the agenda for the crucifixion of Jesus were the church leaders. And you think, how on earth does that work? Well, it works on this basis. Just because somebody is in a church, or a leader of a church... Doesn't make them good people. They listened to him as he said, you know, no, when Jesus performed his miracles, there were people there who were looking at him saying, How did you manage to do that? And who are you? And what are you doing here? And he almost gave the same answer. He said, I'm the son of God. And you know, the church leadership picked up on that immediately. They knew what he was saying. And of course, what he was saying was this. I'm not just a human being. I'm God come as a human being. And they were enraged with that. They were so furious with that. that they eventually got him crucified and my guess is that they breathed a huge sigh of relief when Jesus of Nazareth was dead but they didn't reckon on the passage of scripture that we've just read because he said all along I will come back from the dead and you know we are here today because these facts in history took place there's an empty tomb in the land of Israel and for 40 days he interacted Sometimes with hundreds of people. After 40 days he rose up into heaven. And he's been there for the last 2,000 odd years. Until he will come again to this world for a second time. But before he left. He met up with his disciples. And he made up with them for a fundamental reason. And the fundamental reason was this. You've got to go. And you've got to tell people who I am and what I'm about. And here we are, 2,000 years almost after the uh, ascension of Jesus. And uh, God has not changed God uh, and Jesus has not changed, and I will use these words interchangeably, God and Jesus, because Jesus was God, come in the flesh. And although a couple of hundred years ago there were ten thousand people gathering to worship this God, along at the courtyard Calern, and we are here as a small number compared to that uh, this day, but this God and this Jesus has not changed. And these disciples were given this mandate. You've got to go and you've got to tell people. You've got to spell it out to them. That they can be poor, wretched, bedraggled sinners. But if they come to me in all their need, I'll help them out. And I'll gather them to myself. And they'll be with me throughout the endless ages in eternity. Who? Sinners. Let's not. Whatever we do in life's journey, let's not get this bit wrong. We talk about the grace of God and you think what on earth is grace and grace is unmerited favour the unmerited favour of God. That's why we're here today because God in his kindness and his love has done something about the plight that you and I find ourselves in. We're shortly going to be singing a song along these lines He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay and on a rock he set my feet establishing my way. That's an image of somebody in a pit. Doomed. But someone has done something for that individual. And that someone is God himself. And he's taken them and he's given them foundation. And they stand on a rock. And believers stand on the rock that is, that is Christ. It's astonishing. It's absolutely Astonishing But let's go way back to the very beginning of the Bible And let's go way back to the very beginning of this universe Because God decided to create this universe And you think When you look around yourself today And all the need and all the pains and pangs and chaos That there seems to be You think Why on earth did he do it? What was he thinking about? And he did it Because he wants to share who he is with others. And the others whom he wanted to share who he is with was the human race in particular. Now everything of God's creation reveals something about him. You know I look out the back of our house these days and I look at the the trees and the forests around. And and the colours There's no artist in all this world could do that. And you think, that is absolutely amazing. But you know, most of the time life is so rushed we don't even notice it. But if we stop for a moment and look at it and consider it, you think, wow. And they tell us it just came from nothing. It's just random. And we think, no, it's not just random. It's not. It's a creation. And we must bow before this creator. And that's what we're here today to to do, to worship this creator. But we're not just here to worship the creator. We're here to worship the God who sent his son into this world to help us in our plight. But when God made the very first man and woman, he puts them in a specific place. He puts them in the garden of Eden. And he tells them things one of the things he tells them not to do is not to eat of a particular tree now it's not that God was mean or niggardly he wasn't he basically gave them the garden of Eden and he said it's yours you can do whatever you like with it it's all yours so he wasn't niggardly he wasn't mean he wasn't begrudging but there is one tree in the midst of it it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil I don't want you to eat of the fruit of it and God didn't stop there because God said, In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And for, the, for however long it was, Adam and Eve were getting alongside God. What I mean by that is, they were in communion with God. They were in fellowship with God. God saw them, and he loved what he saw, and they saw God, and they loved what they saw, and it was, it was a togetherness. It was a communion. But the moment they disobeyed God, God's word came to fruition. And the communion is over. It's gone. And you know, when I read the Bible at this stage, I almost want to laugh out loud because we find that Adam and Eve try to hide from the presence of God by hiding behind the bushes of the Garden of Eden. And you think, man, what are they doing? they know who God is they know what God's like the theologians use the word omniscience and the omniscience of God just means that he knows everything and he knew everything about Adam and Eve and you think well okay, if God knows everything about Adam and Eve why did he ask them questions because he said to them where are you you know God asks questions sometimes not for his own benefit he knows anyway He asked the question so that Adam and Eve would take a good hard look at themselves and face up to the reality of what they'd gotten themselves into. And it doesn't matter who we are here this day. God's still omniscient. He hasn't changed. He knows you better than you know yourself and he knows me better than I know myself. And God is saying to them, where are you? And they're hiding. At least in their folly, they're trying to hide from God. And you know, We better not laugh too much at that. Because we've all done it. We've all tried to hide from God in different kind of ways. As we've come along life's journey. And you know a life of hiding from God is the same as being on the run from God. And there is no peace being on the run from God. There is no peace. You might well say, well, how do I find peace? Because I know who I am and I know what I've done in life's journey. And that's why I hide and that's why I run. Effectively, you're saying you're a sinner. You're the very person or type of person that God came to save. He didn't come to seek and to save the righteous. He came to save sinners but at any rate Adam and Eve are out of the garden of Eden and that would be it eternally but for something astonishing taking place God said to them as they left the garden of Eden he gave them hope he said there would be a child born in the family tree that was going to defeat the devil the devil who was behind there eating the forbidden fruit in the garden of Eden Now it took a lot of years, but 2,022 years ago that child arrived in this world. Now it's not as if God didn't reveal more to the human race between the garden of Eden and Christ arriving, because he did. He spoke to a man, Abraham, in out of the Chaldeans. And he basically said to Abraham, Abraham I want to enter into a covenant with you and you think, what on earth a covenant? And a covenant is simply a relationship. And the relationship was this, Abraham I'll be your God. you be my person. Now Abraham had decisions to make. Abraham could have said to him, not me. Because Abraham lived in a very religious community, there were lots of gods believed in, in particular the moon god was worshipped when he lived, and he could have said, no, 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 I'm not into this. But instead he said yes. He came to God in all his need and he entered into covenant with him and God said I'll be your God and I'll look after you and I'll protect you all your days and ultimately I'll bring you to heaven itself to be with me. And I'm going to give you a sign for this covenant. I want you to be circumcised and I want you to circumcise all your children on the eighth day and you think what's that all about? now it's not that this is the first time circumcision was practiced in this world because it had been before on the basis of hygiene and other cultures but God used something that was already there and he turned it into a sacred use and the whole idea is is removing that which has the potential for being unclean and so on the eighth day Abraham by and by. Would circumcise his child Isaac. That was the sign of the covenant. In Old Testament times. And that remains the sign of the covenant. Right up until the time that Jesus comes into this world. And Jesus changes the sign of the covenant. From circumcision. Into a baptism. And today. We will baptize a child. And the whole idea behind the baptism is. Scripture speaks of the washing of regeneration. In other words what Christ does for sinners is. He washes away all that defiles. Remember what I said originally. It's sinners he came to save. We give our sin to Jesus. He gives us his perfect life. That's the great exchange. And the whole idea is that of washing away that which is unclean. So the symbolism of circumcision and the symbol of baptism is exactly the same. It, it focuses on who Jesus is and what he does for those who believe in. In a
1: hymn.
0: Now as Jesus gives this command to his disciples he tells them Go therefore and make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded with you That's a formidable command And you know these disciples You know around the time of the crucifixion of Jesus they showed their real colours. I don't think we're being uncharitable to them by saying they were a pretty pathetic crew. They thought, at least one particular Peter thought I'll never fail Jesus. I'll never buckle. I'll never go under. Supposing everybody else makes a mess of things I won't. He ended up denying Jesus three times over, saying, I know nothing about him. And ultimately he did it with cursings and with oaths. And you think, dear me, that's pretty serious. That's what human nature is like, even someone who believes. Don't let's think for one second that just because someone calls themselves a Christian that they're done with getting things wrong and sinning. That's, I'm afraid, not the way it is. But it's not just Peter. When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane to a man, they all forsook him and fled. They were all cowards. And you think, how on earth does that motley group of people get themselves together so that not much further down the line the enemies of the church are saying, they've turned the world upside down. You think, how does that work? It works on this basis. It works on the resurrection being the truth. That's the only reasonable explanation. These people were changed utterly and completely when they met the risen Christ and here is the risen Christ giving them a formidable challenge go everywhere and tell them about me and get them to be baptized make disciples of them and you think how on? well did they think to themselves how are we ever going to manage that they did it in one way and one way only I have commanded you that was clear and behold I am with you always that's the key That is the key. And you know today. Vows will be taken. As a child is being baptised. And I know that not everybody believes. That children ought to be baptised. But let's remember this. In Old Testament times. God said. Put the mark of my covenant. On your children. When they are eight days old. And you think. How does an eight-year-old child know about Christ and justification and redemption and sanctification and all these technical things? An an eight-year-old child doesn't. It doesn't. But when God gives a command to Abraham, Abraham does what God commands him. And we're looking for God to change his covenant when he changes the sign of the covenant and we're looking for someone in scripture where God's saying look from now on in the children are out no children it simply isn't there and you know it was unthinkable to a mind in the mind of a Jewish person to be engaged in his religion without him operating at the level of him being the head of his family and the whole family circle being involved in it and then in New Testament times, we have households being baptized. It would be very strange if all the households of the New Testament had no children in them. And so we believe that the command prevails and that the covenant's the same and God has not changed it. And so we believe in the baptism of our children as well. Now let's remember this baptizing or taking baptismal vows. Regarding a child does not save a child. If you look at Old Testament times. You have Adam and Eve. And they have, they have children. One's Cain and one's Abel. They have other children as well. But let's stick to Cain and Abel. Both these children were engaged in religious activity. God accepted the religious worship of one of them and he rejected the religious activity of the other. And you think, well, what was that all about? Well, it was very simple. One of them, Abel, listened to what God had to say and worshipped God in the way that God would have him worship. The other man did his own thing. And that's the difference. And then you come down to a man like. Abraham. And Abraham has a son called Isaac. And prior to that he had a son called Ishmael. Isaac was the son of promise. And then Isaac himself has children. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is loved by God. And Esau is not loved by God. And you think. How does that all work out? It's a profound mystery. At one level at any rate. How is it that you can have a family circle. And one child believes in God. And the other does not believe in God. There's a mystery there But it's not mystery at this level When God says to the human race Seek me and you shall find me Those who seek find There's nothing mysterious about that We either accept God or we reject him We seek him or bar him And that's where human responsibility comes in whatever else we may or may not do on life's journey although we may get all tied up in many complications because of different theologies let's get this absolutely right if we seek God we will not be rejected by him that is crucial but you know like a mo- at a moment like this when a- baptism is about to take place many people who in the past have taken baptismal vows want to absolutely cringe and they want to absolutely cringe on this basis they think of the number of times they have failed to live up to the vows that they have taken let's remember this don't let the enemy of your soul have a Hades and destroy you at this point because the covenant whether it's old testament covenant or a new testament covenant always had an accommodation for sin now let me qualify that i'm not justifying sin i'm not excusing it i'm not saying it's okay i'm not doing any of these things but i am saying this when we mess up we go to jesus and we put our hands up and we say i've done this i've done that i've done the next thing And his wording is If you confess your sins I am faithful and just To forgive you your sins And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness And today vows will be taken And they are very serious vows You know I think I've said this often from this pulpit Sometimes I wish I could save people by proxy And what I mean by that is this I look at people and I just want them so much to be safe in Jesus that I would like to make the decision for them just so that I know they're going to be okay in time and in eternity. It doesn't work like that. It works on a one-to-one basis. There are, There's no proxies. There are no proxies. Does that mean I can do nothing for anybody else? No, it doesn't. And as far as children are concerned, you know, we live in a world in which people want the best education for their children. They want the best homes for their children. They want the best phones for their children. They want the best jobs for their children. They want the best health for their children. And at the end of the day, there's nothing much wrong with any of that. Nothing. But the one thing they forget about is this. They forget that their children have never dying souls. They leave that out. Whatever we do, let's not leave that out. But I've said we cannot save them. No, but we can give them the best blessing we can. And that's to live a life... Leaning on Christ as our Saviour and showing them what it is to live that kind of life. That is the best gift we can give to our children. And no, we will not live spotlessly clean lives. No, we will not honour God the way we should every single day. But that's part of what we show to them. That we make a beeline. For the place of confessing our sins to Christ. On a daily basis. On a daily basis. And so we come back to this passage of scripture. And we've noticed that the, these are serious solemn vows. You think how on earth can I fulfill that? Well just as the disciples look to Christ to fulfill their remit of telling others. So parents who take vows on behalf of their children will look to this same Christ and will say to him please help me to be faithful to you and to my vows and to be faithful to my children and may God grant that that's the way it would be with each and every one of us we have our warrant for baptism in this passage of scripture that we have uh, just read and we have just been exploring so what we're going to do now is we are going to sing a psalm and during that singing the children will come down from uh, from uh, from upstairs and um We'll then proceed with the baptism of uh, little Erica. So let's sing to God's praise in Psalm number 40. And it's at uh, the beginning of the song, Psalm number 40. It is page 259 of uh, the Psalter. And it's at the beginning of the song. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay, and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 40. I waited for the Lord my God. Pointed out that our warrant for baptism, we've read it in the passage of scripture that we've just been reading, and we've explored something eh, of it. And so we will proceed to the baptism of eh, Erica Anderson. Of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the only Saviour of sinners? Do you promise to bring up Erica in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? The congregation can be upstanding. Erica Anderson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we stand before you this day. We owe you everything. In you we live and move and have our being. We thank you for the gift of little Erica, and we pray that you would help Nathan and Amy to fulfil the vows that they have taken this day, to honour you, of Erica, to know you, their saviour. We pray for all. Of you. We thank you for the gifts you have given to us in recent. But it's not just the children. We thank you for everybody of this congregation. We thank you for all our family units but above all else we pray that we would all be part of the family that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are safe in Jesus for time and for eternity. So help us all to trust in you and bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Let's just close by singing to God's praise in Psalm number twenty three. It's the traditional version, the Scottish Psalter version of Psalm twenty three. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. Down to the end, goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me, and in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. God's dwelling place ultimately is heaven. And I hope that will be the dwelling place of us all. But it will only be the dwelling place of us all if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. May that be true of each and every one of us. Let's sing these words to God's place. Psalm 23, the whole song, the Lord's my shepherd. with each one both now and forevermore Amen